This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 365. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 365. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, Shameless Moms. Welcome, welcome. If this is your first time listening to the Shameless Mom Academy, I'm so happy to have you here. And if this is your like one millionth time listening, welcome back. I'm always honored to be in your ear. Whether you're new or old or anything in between, it's truly an honor to show up in your ears on a regular basis. And if it's your first time listening, I hope it's the first of many. And for those of you who've been listening for 364 episodes previously, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I see you. I hear you. I know that you're out there. I get your comments and your reviews and your questions, and it's just always a delight to be able to engage with you. So just wanted to give some special attention to all of you listeners today and let you know that I sit here in my office podcasting all by myself, but I always feel all of you with me, and that makes a really big difference. So we're going to talk about emotional intelligence in kids today specifically in boys, specifically in white boys, because I'm raising a little white boy. And because I was inspired to have this conversation because of something I posted recently on social media. So after this episode will go live a few weeks after the actual event. But a few weeks ago, there were two mass shootings over the course of one weekend. And there was just a lot of stuff coming up on social media around that. 
And one of the things I found to be lacking was any conversation around emotional intelligence of young white men. So I created my own little meme. I put it up on Instagram and on our Facebook page over at the Shameless Mom Academy. And there was people asking for feedback in terms of like, yes, let's talk about emotional intelligence among young white men. And also, how are you doing this yourself? Meaning me, how am I doing this raising my own son? So let me just back up and kind of let you know what I said on social media to give you some context. So after the two mass shootings that weekend, a few weeks ago, I created a meme and it said, yes, let's talk about the gun problem. Yes, let's talk about the mental health problem. Yes, let's talk about the white supremacy problem. And for the love, let's talk about the lack of emotional intelligence among young white men problem. And so then I said, with that post, with that meme, I said, raising emotionally intelligent, emotionally capable men solves a lot of problems, like almost every problem, racism, sexism, diet culture, homophobia, gun violence, domestic violence, rape culture. Am I missing anything? So that was the post that went up. And there was a lot of comments in agreement. And then there was questions around, well, actually, I should start with, there was a question saying, why is this just about raising emotionally intelligent young white men? What about raising emotionally intelligent boys of color. Absolutely also important. So backing all the way out, like stepping out and looking at this as a global issue, emotional intelligence is critical for everyone. It's become so critical for males because we live in a patriarchy. The decisions are made on a global level by men and men are not taught how to be emotionally capable. It is not something that society has historically valued for men to be in touch with their emotions, for men to be able to label, identify, and be like even have permission to feel their feelings. And so we have this big problem around male decision makers not being able to tap into empathy when making a decision. And this is on a global level. I'm not, I mean, I could definitely identify, like point this at current politics, but I'm talking about on a global level, this is happening. We have policymakers on a global level who do not make decisions based on empathy and compassion. They make decisions based on a lot of other things because they haven't been taught how to be emotionally intelligent or emotionally capable or emotionally available. And so what ends up happening is we have a lot of policy made with a tremendous lack of empathy and lack of compassion for anyone who is othered. And by that, I mean lack of empathy and compassion for women, for anyone who's not heterosexual, for anyone who's maybe questioning their gender identity, for anyone who's differently abled, for anyone who is a different kind of religion than certain groups, for anyone who has a body that looks different. And by different, I mean, is not like a thin white person. So there's all sorts of ways that this shows up when we have decisions being made by males who have never had any sort of training and teaching around compassion, empathy, emotional intelligence, and being emotionally available. And you might be married to a man who is not emotionally available or capable, and you know what I mean. And this is not for me to sit and point fingers at like all men are bad and men are ruining the world, or it's like not a man hating thing at all. It's a cultural problem that is showing up now in really terrifying ways. Because what we see happening is we see young white men who have never had to be emotionally available, who have never had to be emotionally capable. They don't know how to manage emotion 
And the way that that comes out is through really, really dangerous acts. And those dangerous acts look like mass shootings. They look like the Brock Turners of the world raping women on college campuses with no remorse. They look like all of these very horrific situations and crimes and scenarios because we have not taught white men how to feel their feelings, manage their feelings, express their feelings. We haven't given them permission to cry. We haven't created space for them to be vulnerable. And we haven't created safe spaces, especially for them to like sit and have a good cry. We've given men the message that they should stuff their feelings, that if they're showing up with emotion, that they're being a sissy, that they're being also, I mean, there's all sorts of negative words that we would use to describe men who lead with emotion and who lead with compassion. And so this has become a huge, huge problem. And so while yes, emotional intelligence is important for everyone and it's important for all races of males, it's also really important for white men because of the perpetration of vulnerable populations by young white men that we see happening right now. And that they are being supported in this in many ways, because as a culture and society, we don't have constructs in place for men to emotionally express themselves in any way. And so it comes out in other ways instead. So that was kind of where this conversation started in on social media. And then someone said, there was a, a comment on the post that said, can you do an episode about this? Having a little boy, it weighs heavy on my heart. And there was a few follow-up comments along those lines as well. So I was like, okay, I'm not an expert on emotional intelligence in kids. There are parenting experts that are absolutely experts in that area. The Gottman Institute is a great resource around emotional intelligence. So I'm like not positioning myself as an expert here. I did an episode a while back, which I will link to in the show notes about how to not raise a rapist, which is very similar in concept to the things I'm going to be talking about today, talking about developing emotional intelligence in young white men. So when you develop emotional intelligence in someone, they're much less likely to be a perpetrator of any kind, whether that's a perpetrator of like of any kind of violence, whether it's a violence against a wife, violence against, you know, a drunk woman on a college campus, violence against a group of religious people practicing their religion, all sorts of different scenarios. So what I'm doing to raise a young white man in terms of helping him harness his emotional intelligence is a handful of things. And I've given this some thought, and this is not an exhaustive list, but it's what I'm doing and what I'm doing with some conscientiousness around it. I also want to say that a really interesting thing happened after I shared this post, unrelated to this post, someone came into our private group and said, I had this really horrifying experience in her son's preschool program. And she said, picked up my child from school and learned that he had been verbally threatened another little girl in the class. And I'm going to keep it pretty general because I want to respect this person's privacy. They shared in our private Facebook group over at shameless mom hashtag every damn day. So the post is up over there if anyone wants to go look at it, but I'm not going to share a lot of details since that is a private group. So anyways, her little boy verbally threatened a little girl during playtime. And this is in a preschool setting, but the mom was really, really upset by what her son had said and completely shocked and couldn't figure out like, where did he even like find this kind of wording and language and verbiage. And like, this is just not how we talk at home. And she found this to be really concerning, understandably so. And it was pretty jarring. 
And so she came into the group, very vulnerably posted what had happened. I mean, it's hard to come into a group of thousands of people and say like, hey, my kid just did this thing that was threatening to someone else. And it's a very vulnerable post. So like major kudos to this mama for showing up and asking for support in this way, because I understand that's probably felt very uncomfortable. But one of the comments that I noticed right away was another mom, Jody, actually, and I'll use her name. She's been a guest on the show before, Jody Asgard. She said, just know that your child's behavior is not always a reflection of your parenting. And I was like, that's so important. And so I'm going to tell you everything that we're doing in raising my son and being intentional around developing and cultivating emotional intelligence. I'm going to also say that you can do all these things and your child can still be a total jerk. Sometimes (laughs) your child can demonstrate the unsafe behavior. Your child might threaten another kid still. And so sometimes those are isolated incidents and sometimes there's reasons that you might need to seek some professional support. And so I would say, as I talk through these things, just keep in mind that you can do all of the quote unquote right things And you still might need additional support in raising your child. Your child still might struggle in being emotionally capable, emotionally available, emotionally intelligent. So I'm not saying that this is like the perfect answer, but I think that the underlying message is that we need to be trying way harder and we need to be doing a way better job. And when we do a better job than what we're doing right now on a cultural level, and on a, you know, on a national level and on a global level, we will create way more opportunities for little boys to grow up into men who make really compassionate, empathetic decisions to support themselves in safe ways and support other people in safe ways and to reach out when they need help and when they need support, just like women typically do. Like we're all about calling our girlfriends. If we have a really bad day, let's make it okay for men to do that because then they're way less likely to do some of these really vicious, violent things that we see young men doing right now. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. So let's start with what I'm doing, what we're doing raising a little boy at our house. So the first thing is we create all the space in the world for our son to have feelings, to express feelings, and to label feelings. And this has been something, so I have a pretty emotional child, especially as he was younger. He's actually less emotional now than he used to be. So he's almost seven, but there was a lot of years of long drawn out, like crying, hysteria, tantrums. And they weren't, I mean, they were around all sorts of things. It was around not wanting to separate from me. So like, you know, not wanting to go to school, not wanting to go to swimming lessons, a lot of anxiety around things like that. And I had to consistently and constantly let him have space for those feelings. I never told him. I mean, we went through phases where like every single time we had to go to a swimming lesson, we would go to swimming lessons at like 3 p.m. And from the time you would get up in the morning at 7 a.m., it was uh, working through the not wanting to go to swimming lessons for the whole entire day. It was so painful. And it was this constant conversation. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. He hated it. It was like a 15 minute lesson. And I was within arm's reach of him the entire time. And he hated going. And we would talk about it constantly. We would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I like sometimes thought I just wanted to like leave the room and let him talk to himself. But I never told him like, you just need to get over it. You just need to stop. You need to snap out of it. This is enough. I gave him all the space to have feelings and express feelings and label feelings. Now, that's not to say that I did not make drive me batty sometimes. It absolutely did. And I had to take space. So there were times where I was like, we're going to talk about this for five minutes. And then I'm going to go do something else. And like, if you need to check in later, we can. So there were definitely, I had to put limits on it at times, but it was never like, you're not allowed to feel that thing. You're not allowed to be scared. You're not allowed to be sad. You're not allowed to be nervous or worried or anxious. So it's a, creating a lot of space for all the feelings all the time. And we still do that. We really still create like all feelings are okay. You're allowed to talk about them. Now he doesn't ever really want to talk about feeling. I mean, now he's like, if I ask him if he had a good day, he's like, I don't want to talk about it. 
but then at dinner he'll be like, oh my gosh, all these fun things happened at camp. So like now we're almost in the opposite extreme where I have to wait for him to open up. But when he was in a place of expressing more feelings, it was always like all the feelings are fine. You are allowed to feel all of them. And still now, like if he's feeling frustrated around something or upset about something, we definitely create all that space as well. Right now, I mean, he's not like you know, I'm feeling really grateful or joyful or excited, or I'm feeling sad or or lonely or any, none of that really comes up. What ends up happening is there ends up being meltdowns in moments of hunger and fatigue. And then all the feelings come out. And so that's when we have to like, let them all happen. And so in those situations, it's a lot of like sitting on the kitchen floor, sitting on the kitchen floor when we're all starving and (laughs) at five o'clock and all the feelings are coming out. And I'm like, okay, like, tell me what happened. Let's talk it out. Let's take deep breaths. This also happens a lot before school. This happened through all throughout kindergarten where we would have situations where around what I consider to be silly things around like the shoes feeling funny or the socks not fitting or not wanting to wear a certain pair of uniform. I mean, like the kid wears a uniform. So you would think that would solve a lot of problems, but it would still be like certain uniform pants would like just totally throw them off for the day. <laughs> so again, making space for all those feelings. There were a lot of days that we sat outside his classroom while he cried before I walked him into the classroom and we talked through feelings and we took deep breaths together. And I just constantly made space for that constantly making it okay for him to have emotion and to express emotion, even when it was very exhausting for me. The second thing that we do is teaching and practicing healthy coping mechanisms. So talking about feelings, expressing feelings safely, talking about that, always talking about like, There was definitely some have been limits at times around like when he was feeling super angry, instead of sending him to his room for like a timeout until he could calm down or whatever, it was more like your room is a safe place. So why don't you go to your room to relax or to have some time to, you know, process because he often wants space from us when he's really upset. So it wasn't like you're in trouble for having feelings or you're in trouble for being emotional. You need to go to your room and shut the door. It was more like, why don't you go to your room since that's your safe place? And in a few minutes, I'll come in and, and I'll talk with you. And so that it wasn't a punishment as much as a coping mechanism to go have a safe place to be. And he has like this whole little cocoon thing set up in his room where he likes to go. That is his safe place. So it wasn't like you need to go sit on timeout on the stairs until you're ready to not feel your feelings anymore. We've done a lot of taking deep breaths. This is something I started with him when he was really young. We started taking deep breaths together probably when he was two or three before he could really do it. He was probably closer to two and we would sit on the steps and this started with the transition into preschool and we would sit on the steps of our house and we would take deep breaths together and we would do a big inhale and then we would hold it at the top and then a big exhale and we would just do that over and over and over and his body would physically relax when he was feeling really out of control emotionally. And now what's happened with that is that he self-manages deep breathing on a very regular basis. And he'll say to me when he starts to feel emotional about something, he'll say, will you take deep breaths with me? To which I every single time say yes. Like I will stop anything I'm doing because this is such a healthy coping skill. I'm like, absolutely. I will take deep breaths. And there's been mornings at kindergarten drop-off last year where we had to take deep breaths multiple times where I was like, Oh my Lord, how many times we're going to take the deep breaths? We're sitting outside the classroom. Everyone's walking by staring at us and we're just taking some deep breaths, but we do that a lot. And that's become one of his go-to coping mechanisms for self-calming rather than stuffing feelings, rather than sitting in anger, rather than raging, waiting until he's through the biggest emotions 
and then taking deep breaths. He has to get through the big emotions first though, because when he's super fired up and angry or highly emotional, he can't take the deep breaths. So that's like when I know he's ready to calm down, he's like, okay, I'm ready to take deep breaths together. Another coping mechanism is identifying the causes of anger and frustration. So I'll give a couple examples. He had a friend hit him recently with a rope at a party. We were at a barbecue and this friend hit him with a rope and he was really upset. Like understandably so. He was really upset about it. It left a welt on his arm. So it hurt. He was angry. He was physically hurt, emotionally hurt by the whole thing. And so he came over to me and his language around it was he was really mad at his friend and I don't like him. I think he even said, I hate him. Like I'm not his friend anymore. I want him to leave. Like I want to go home. Like he was just full of all the anger. And so we talked about it for a long time. And then we talked about how you can be assertive. And again, like not shutting him down being like, Oh, it's just a little mark. It's fine. It'll go away. Instead saying that must have really hurt your feelings. I know he's one of your really good friends. Did you talk to him about it? Could you go over to him and say, I don't like it when you hurt me, or that really hurt my feelings when you hurt me? You know, you're my friend, and I want you to be my friend. And that wasn't being a good friend to me and like practicing being assertive. So that's one of the things that we've worked on. We also had incidents when he was in preschool with biting where he had another kid biting him and we literally had him practice being assertive and practice saying, no, you are not allowed to bite me. And I had to teach him how to say this when he was like three years old, (laughs) but to say, to stand up for himself, because here's the thing. If you never teach a kid to use their words and they're constantly being harmed by other people, that will break them later. There's the potential to break them in a lot of different ways later in life. So for him to give him the words to be assertive and to say, no, you can't bite me. That's not okay. Really early on was a huge tool to empower him. There's another situation. He had a little girl in preschool near the end of preschool, and she had some physical delays and verbal delays. And she was a biter and she bit Vinny a few times. And so he would come home and be upset about this. And so one of the things we talked about in that situation was around empathy for her because she didn't have her words yet. So we would say, oh, well, remember, she's still learning how to use her words. And until she learns how to use her words, she might do things that don't feel safe to you. And so if she does that, you can move away. Don't sit next to her. The teachers had given them some coping mechanisms, but we were reinforcing at home why is this little girl doing some of these things that a lot of other kids had grown out of? And so we would talk about, she's still learning to use her words. She's still learning how to use her body safely, things along those lines. And then we would talk about how can we help someone who's still learning? How can we be a good friend? And what ended up coming out of all that is that later in the year, one of the teachers commented about how a lot of the kids did not want to sit next to this little girl because she she could be pretty aggressive with them but that Vinny would often go and sit next to her. And so he had learned that, oh, she's learning differently. And I can always move myself if it doesn't feel safe, but I can also still be a good friend and be a helper. And one of the teachers at one point, this little girl was potty training. And I think she was, I don't know, maybe four at the time. And one of the teachers said, Vinny wanted to be like super helpful in potty training, like help her change her underwear. They had to be like, well, like you can't help that much. Like There's a line in which we're not going to let you be like that much of a good friend. But it was really sweet that he was able to ID, okay, she's learning differently. And that's why she's acting differently. And so a coping mechanism around anger and frustration is often helping a kid understand what's happening around them so that they can re 
identify the feeling and that they can identify what's actually happening and what the context is so that instead of just feeling angry that someone's biting them, which is an understandable response to also be able to identify a step further. Oh, wait, that thing that this person did to me. Yes, it makes me feel angry. Yes, I don't like it. And no, it's not okay. And also I can understand why they did that. And that's a major lesson in empathy right there. The third thing that we do is teaching and modeling empathy through conversation and the way we interact with people. And so a couple examples of this is, I think I talked about this last year when we did it, or in the fall of last year, any school did a program, I think it was the fourth graders of the school maybe did a service project where they had all the families of the school bring in items for care kits and to build care kits to for everyone to pass out to people impacted by homelessness. And so they had families bring in things like gloves and socks and shampoo and deodorant and granola bars and oatmeal packets and all these different things. And then they invited anyone who wanted to come on a Tuesday night. And we went through this assembly line, basically, and we built care kits and Ziploc freezer bags that then the kids could take out into the community and pass out to people who were panhandling, people impacted by homelessness, people, I mean, I think some of the families like went into tent cities and did this and just did all sorts of things to like outreach to humanize homelessness in Seattle because it's such a massive problem. And so we went and made these kits. And then since then, we've been giving the kits out. And so when we've given the kits out, it's happened, actually just happened a couple of weeks ago, we gave one out. We were actually in Spokane visiting my mom. And there was this young man on the side of the street holding up a sign. We were at the intersection. And I said, Oh, Vinny, it looks like he maybe could use a care kit. So we rolled down the window. I had Vinny hand it to him through the window. Then he hands him the care kit. He was so excited. And he looked like he was maybe like 17 or 18. He was pretty young. He takes the care kit. He's so excited. He runs back to the street corner. He immediately pulls it open and he found there was a bag of beef jerky in there. He tore into that beef jerky like he had not eaten in a week. And he just went, he was like big, huge smile, eating his beef jerky, just like fired up. And we were both like, oh my gosh, look at, he's so happy. And there was two sides of it. Like, wow, how sad he must've been so hungry. And also we got to do this one really simple little thing that made someone feel so good. And so that was a really great lesson there. And we do that on a regular basis. We also, I'm really conscientious when Vinny's with me and we're walking by grocery stores and in and out of Trader Joe's, or there's a little store by our house, a Ken's market, which is like a little local, smaller store. And when we go up there especially if it's cold out, I always will stop and ask if there's people sitting outside panhandling. I'll say, Hey, would you like a cup of coffee? And then we'll go in and like, I'll get the person a cup of coffee. And I'll say, Hey, Vinny, do you want to pick out, do you think that person looks like they would like a chocolate chip cookie? And we'll get them like a cookie and coffee and take it out on our way out after we get our groceries so that we are just consistently treating people who are different than us with every bit, the same humanity that we would want to be treated with. And now he's like, he's really, really receptive to it. And he thinks of that, that that's just how you treat people. So teaching and modeling empathy in that way, and then pointing out to him after these situations saying, wow, did you see how happy she was when we gave her that coffee? She must've been really excited, you know, on a cold night. Like, how would you feel if you were so cold? Wouldn't you be so happy if someone brought you hot chocolate or coffee? So having little, just tiny conversations, none of these things are like, let's sit down and talk about empathy. It's just tiny little conversations, tiny little things that are happening as events happen that make a really big difference in the long run. The fourth thing that we do is pay attention to the words that we use around people who are different. And so this is something that I hadn't even realized I was doing until Vinny said something the other day. 
he like identified someone as being weird. I think, I think he used the word weird or something similar. And then right after he said it, he said, I'm not trying to be mean. I was just saying like, you know, they're different than we are or something like he kind of distinguishing. And I thought, Oh, that's really interesting that like, we don't ever, I hadn't even really noticed this, but I was like, we don't ever say like, Oh my gosh, they're so weird. Or that family's weird or those kids are weird. Like we just don't label people who are different than us as we don't other them. And I use other as a verb. We don't make them stand apart from us as like, we're better than them. You will not hear me talking in front of Vinny about another family or other kids or another moms and say, Oh my God, she is so weird. Like I do not even want to have anything to do with her. Or Those kids are weird. We don't talk to them or we don't play with them or, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, but as much as possible, never try to other anyone else, especially in front of my child. And so when he comes to me to point out that someone is different in some way, and he kind of gets that context of like, that's kind of weird, or they're weird, to say, oh, how interesting, they dress differently than us, they look different, or they have a different living situation, or maybe they, you know, they live in their car, all these different kinds of scenarios where he can just be like, oh, so that's just different. It's different than me. But it's not weird. It's not less than it's not othered. It's just different and keeping it like super neutral so that it's not about a hierarchy around differences. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff, play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Fifth thing is keeping activities and interests non-gendered. So Vinny went through a huge phase in preschool. You may have seen this on social media where he wore a tutu to school and fairy wings and a plastic gold tiara and a little wand. And I let him do that. And my husband and I both were like, you can wear a pink tutu for as many days in a row as you want. And we don't really care what anyone else has to say about it. And so really letting him not be gendered in his interests in the way he dresses in the way he plays in anything like that, like letting him pick out colors. So it's funny, the other day, he was talking about his favorite colors. And he was like, Oh, yeah, like pink and red and yellow or something. And I was like, Oh, so funny that like pink is the first one. And then he said, 
I didn't say that, but I was just thinking it. I didn't expect him to say that. And he was talking with a friend. And then he said to the friend, you know, some people think that pink is a girl's color, but they're just wrong. <laughs> and then the friend was like, yeah. It, like you could see him processing. He was like, yeah, boys can totally like pink. <laughs> so it was really funny. It was really cute. We do things like we go to plays and musicals and we don't just go to sporting events. We really like try to do things that are non-gendered as much as possible. One of the things that Vinny and I did for years was we would take walks up to the fire station near our house, which is just a couple blocks away. And he would push a little baby in his stroller. He pushed his baby Alfonso, who, by the way, baby Alfonso came in a very pink feminine outfit, but the baby was named Alfonso. I don't even know how that came to be, but baby Alfonso got pushed in this little stroller up to the fire station for years. And so letting him like play in any role that he wants to play and not gendering it, because here's the thing, when you do that, when you don't create divisions and put parameters around things, you create space for compassion and you create space for understanding and you create space for diversity. And when you do that, it makes way more safe places for everyone. So if my child understands that anyone can play with dolls and anyone can love going to musicals and anyone can wear a tutu to school and similarly, any so that any boys can do those things and that any girls can play with trucks and they can wear their favorite color can be blue and they can wear like t-shirts and sports shorts every day and never wear a dress, like just creating that space for everyone to express themselves in whatever way feels good for them creates an compassion and appreciation of diversity that is very, very significant when you are looking at how to raise someone who's emotionally intelligent. Because when you have that appreciation and compassion around diversity, you will make safe places for other people. Number six, the sixth thing we do is we talk openly about all the different ways that people live. And so this has been something, I mean, we have so many opportunities here in Seattle because we have so many people who don't live in houses. So we have people who live in cars and people who live in shelters and people who live in apartments. We have now, as Vinny gets older, we have some friends who live with a mom and a dad and some friends who only live with one parent. We have some friends who have only one parent in the picture. And then we have some friends who have parents who are divorced. And so they live, they alternate between houses. We have some friends who have two moms. So we have all these different scenarios around us where we're constantly like, oh, look at that. Isn't that interesting? Their family looks different than ours or their living situation looks different or they live with a grandparent and all of that is fine like pointing out what the differences are so that you can recognize that all the differences are okay and that's really really important as well the seventh thing that we do that is similar kind of along the same lines is talking about marriage and family as broadly as possible that families can be made in all sorts of different ways so Vinny knows that we had to go to Dr. Chanel's office to make a baby because mama and papa what he calls us we couldn't make a baby together because we had all these you know there was all these medical things and so we had to go to Dr. Chanel's office and we were so lucky because Dr. Chanel is a really great helper and so she was able to help us make a baby so we talk really openly about our experience with infertility to a level that is age appropriate for him, but really give him pretty much all of the basic details. Like there's not a lot that we withhold, but we just make sure that we say it in a way that is understandable to him. And so that he knows that families are made in all sorts of different ways and that you can marry anyone that you want to, and you can have babies any way that you want to. And so this actually came up recently. He was talking about 
wanting to marry two different kids in his class. And he was like, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to marry this. I'm not going to use their names, but I'm not sure if I'm going to marry this little girl or this little boy. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, the most important thing is that like (laughs) either one of them have to want to marry you. Like, you know, let's talk about consent for a minute. And he was like, okay. And he said, well, but if I marry the boy, then we can't have a baby. I was like, oh no, you can definitely have a baby. You can have babies with boys. That's called, so usually you would either adopt a baby or you can get what's called a surrogate. And that's when a woman will carry the baby for you and your husband And then after the baby's born, she gives the baby to you so that you and your husband get to raise the baby. And he was like, oh, cool. Okay. So, I mean, this kid like knows all the ins and outs of like how a family can be made, who you can marry. And we talk really openly about when he talks about wanting to marry people in his class, like, I don't care if it's a boy or a girl, but the other person does need to agree to it. And he actually has gone through this little stint of saying that he has a girlfriend. And I am constantly like, no, you don't have a girlfriend. Like it's not appropriate to have a girlfriend in kindergarten. And he'll say to me, well, she says she's not my girlfriend anymore. I said, well, you're probably making her uncomfortable because it's not appropriate to have a girlfriend in kindergarten. So maybe you should ask her if she wants to be your friend, because that would be appropriate in kindergarten. And that would be how to be a good friend is to like notice if someone is not wanting to spend time with you, maybe it's because you did something or said something to make them uncomfortable. Maybe she doesn't want to be your girlfriend or doesn't want to be your wife, which is a conversation that they were apparently actively having on the playground, I think. So awareness around that too, awareness around what are the conversations that you're engaging in and are they appropriate or not? And how are they making other kids feel? So all of these things are, again, it's little things, little things that are creating awareness around compassion for other people, appreciation of diversity in the community, appreciation for all the different ways that communities can be made up and all the different situations that people show up in community with and being really clear that we will accept other people in a safe way no matter how they show up, no matter what their situation or their story is, that we want to make sure that other people have a safe space. And then when we can do that, that's creating empathy and understanding. And when we do that, it also makes it known to him, to Vinny, that when you show up in our space, in our family space, that we are creating a safe place for you in whatever way you're showing up. So that might be having a two hour long tantrum about what's for dinner tonight. And that's okay. We will create a safe place for you to do that. That's not to say there's not limits around it. Like I'm not going to like let my whole entire evening be blown up by someone, you know, crying because they don't want peas for dinner, but letting him know that around the, the safety around expressing feelings and the safety around having an opinion, the safety around having needs and expressing those needs and feelings in safe and appropriate ways. All of this is just little stepping stones. So the last thing I would say on this is to, as you are looking at ways to cultivate emotional intelligence in your sons and specifically in your white sons, to stay open to learning and growing and not getting it right all the time and accepting support. And so I think that this is just, I think that emotional intelligence in kids is going to continue to be something that there's going to be a lot of media, I hope, a lot of media attention on. I think there's going to be a lot more research done. I think there's going to be a lot more for us to learn as parents and a lot more that we can integrate and implement in simple ways. And so really challenging yourself to continue to learn and grow and move in the right direction, move in the direction of creating those safe places for feelings, creating those conversations around all areas of diversity and all areas of compassion and empathy in your household so that you have a child who feels safe if they are othered, if they are different, if they're having big feelings, if they're having hard feelings, so that 
if there's that safe place, they have a place to go and be taken care of and a place to show up and be unconditionally supported. I think that's the most important part. And being open to accepting support. If you see something that you're concerned with, be completely comfortable going to a therapist about it, asking a professional, asking a child psychologist. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, especially when it comes to keeping your child safe and especially when it comes to your child's emotional stability. You have to take responsibility for being in charge of that and being responsible for that. So looking at how can you be on top of that when you see red flags. Sometimes those red flags are nothing and other times they're big things. And so back to you know this parent who posted in our Facebook group last week, it could have been a one-time incident or it could be an indication of something bigger and you don't know until you just keep watching, keep listening and then decide, do I need more support around this? It's always okay to get more support. Always, always, always. And that support might be in listening to podcasts and reading books, or it might be like calling the doctor and being like, hey, we need a referral to a child psychologist or to a therapist or a play therapist. I mean, play therapists and occupational therapists just do amazing things with helping kids access and manage and express feelings in really safe and appropriate ways. So if this has been helpful, please share it out. If you know of other parents who are really wanting to do their best in raising emotionally intelligent boys, please share this episode out. I think it's a really important conversation. I think it's a really big topic. Like I said, I'm not an expert on it, but I do think that we're doing some things right in our household. That's not to say my kid might not be an asshole sometimes. (laughs) Um, He might not make some poor choices along the way, but I think that we're on the right track and I feel good about what we're doing. And I want to share it in that context, not so much the context of being a parenting expert because I'm not, but I think that this will be helpful to other families. So please do share this episode if you think it would might touch some people who need it. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be back in your ear on Wednesday. Quick bonus sponsor before I let you go. So this sponsor, actually, I reached out to them and I said, Hey, I've loved your product so much. I would love it if you could partner with my podcast and offer a discount to my listeners. So here we go. Planet Box. Planet Box is the lunchbox system that we use for Vinny all of last year. It's all stainless steel lunchboxes. So I am not a fan of using plastic, especially with food. I don't want plastic leaching into my kids' food all the time. And so we used the stainless steel Planet Box all of last year. We had one box. It looks and is still behaves as if it's brand new. It is so durable. And we got the Rover version, which is like a bento box with, I think, five different compartments. Used it every damn day for the whole year, and it is still in perfect condition. We're going to add the launch style this year to our collection. So Vinny will have two Planet Boxes to choose from. You can pick out of different bag systems. And so we got the over-the-shoulder bag. So it's like a little messenger bag kind of with a water bottle holder. You can add little containers to the lunchbox system. It's everything Planet Box does is super awesome and really conscientious around design. It's cute. It's fun, super functional, and the quality cannot be matched in terms of durability. So if you're looking for an awesome stainless steel lunchbox option for your kids, go check out planetbox.com. And when you enter the code fuelyouradventure25, that's all one word, fuelyouradventure25, you're going to get 25% off of your order, excluding kit items. So again, go to planetbox.com and use the code fuelyouradventure25 to save 25% off your order. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued 
Over in our free private Facebook group, you can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. 